You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Galatians 5 verse 19, the work of the flesh on the lack of self, sexual self-control. But I say to you, verse 16, Galatians 5, Walk by the Spirit, and do not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, Jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so we note these uh, we note these two entirely different kinds of life that are available to us, these two uh, completely different ways uh, of living. What we find is first, we have the list of the flesh, the things that we have to deny. And this will be our study tonight. The lack of sexual self-control. Immorality, impurity, and sensuality. And I'm taking my translated list here from the New American Standard. Uh, the translations will note maybe ever so slightly different, particularly maybe with the word immorality as fornication in the King James. Then we'll have sins of false religion. We have idolatry and sorcery. We have sins of bad temper that we'll look at, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, things that have to do with bad relationships, which is actually the largest of the list. Disputes, dissensions, factions, and envying. And then there's misuse and abuse of different substances. And then he'll also mention, Paul says, other things that will keep you from the kingdom. Things like drunkenness and carousing. So actually, that's going to be the outline of our studies in weeks to come. Tonight, the first one. And in future lessons, the false religion, the bad temper, the bad relationships, and the misuse of substances. And so all of these things are of the flesh. Paul says that the practice of these things are disqualifying from the kingdom of God. He also told the Ephesians very much the same thing, as we'll see. Instead, these are to be replaced in our life, being led by the Spirit to a different kind of production, a different thing that is its fruit, a different thing that is produced. And what we find, and we'll divide these into various parts again, some inward attitudes, love, joy, and peace. And then we're going to find some outward displays. These will be evident in our lives, patience, kindness, and goodness. These are the outward manifestations of those inward attitudes. Then there's some other goods as well, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that'll be our study. Again, Lord willing, in the future, 
of the fruit of the Spirit. And so that will be, not just the study of it, but certainly the practice of it, that will be a long-term exercise. Uh, Eugene Peterson's famous phrase is a long obedience in the same direction. And so it's not just the stopping of a certain certain set of sins uh, uh, that is required for the sanctified life uh, that is in Christ. Basically, this is a whole life replacement. It is a replacement of one life with another, the life of the flesh with the life that is in the Spirit. You can't stop uh, wrongs without replacing them with something right. And you can't have these right things anchored in and set in and, and, and being built into life uh, without uh, taking out the bad. So it's going to be it's going to be basically a, a, a replacement. And here's the thing. It's a replacement as we go down the road of life. But we don't get to pull off into a pit stop and uh, have the engine swapped out in our car as we go. We got to keep going because our responsibilities and our relationships and the things of our life, these don't stop so that we can get these things corrected and right and straight. We have to correct them as we go. So we're going to be remade fully in Christ by stopping these works of the flesh and doing these things uh, that are the uh, produce of the Spirit. And it's going to be a work in progress. And uh, sometimes I think we see in the lives of Christians in this work of progress that some areas are going better than others on the remake. Some parts of the remodel and the teardown are going better than other parts. And so sometimes we're going to end up seeing in the same person some of both of these at the same time. And so we've all seen, and it's, it's a bit jarring at times, uh, we've seen the Christian uh, who for 30 minutes or an hour, uh, a sign of love and joy uh, and peace uh, is in their life, and, and they are doing so many uh, wonderful things, but then something sets them off, and all of a sudden uh, we've got an outburst of anger and a dispute, and people are ready to break up into factions where 30 minutes ago they were showing this uh, wonderful love and peace and patience. So in one place there's patience, but in another part of life there's not. Now, it shouldn't be this way, and it can't remain this way forever as we work to replace one of these sets of things with the other. Uh, James talked about and, and warned us about those who get stuck in this, where it's always some of one and always some of the other. James was talking about the tongue and said no one could tame it. He said, with it, with our tongue, James 3 and verse 9, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, such things ought not be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. So we can't get stuck where we have, well, I'm pretty good on part of that love list, but yeah, okay, I, I, I still got some of this flesh list too. We can't be stuck in that situation. But at the same time, we have to realize that everybody who's making the transition from the life of the flesh to the life of the spirit, they're going to have places where it's not a complete transformation yet. They're going to have places where uh, this is not done. There's going to be setbacks uh, and uh, experience. Uh, uh, shows us 
that setbacks in this area are, are both uh, common, uh, almost to the point of being somewhat expected, even though it's sad uh, that it's so. But if we're making progress in the things of the Spirit, we should always be having more of that. And of these things of the flesh, always be having less of that. But we know that our growth and maturity and our sanctification, it sometimes goes and fits and starts. And sometimes there are setbacks. Now, this is some really, I think, good words to explain exactly what's going on and how the process goes. And I'll read these. They're old words, and they're maybe not quite the language we always use. It's from the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is a document that we don't always uh, look at much. It's a Calvinistic document. But on this, Westminster Confession, chapter 13, on sanctification, I think it speaks some very good and wise words, and I don't think I could summarize them any better than they are, so I'll just read it. Sanctification, according to the Westminster Confession, sanctification is throughout the whole man, yet imperfect in this life, there abideth still some remnants of corruption in every part. Whence arises a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. In this war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part doth overcome and so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I, I think that's exactly right. I think that we have within us, because we want to do the things of the Spirit in our mind, in our faith, in our uh, highest and best desires, we want to do that. Yet at the same time, uh, we have these selfishness, uh, selfishness within us. We have these carnal thoughts, uh, which still from the old man, uh, have hung around for far too long, but still are truly there, uh, there arises within us, it says, this continual and irreconcilable war between the flesh and the spirit. They're irreconcilable because the flesh and the spirit are always at war. And we truly need to have chosen and taken up for ourselves one side or the other. And then on that side to which we have taken up and pledged our allegiance, and uh, hopefully in gratitude and in faith that is on the side of the Spirit, uh, through His help, through our faith which is in Christ, then the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and self-control, these will be the winning side in that irreconcilable war between flesh and Spirit. So with that, and having given that introduction, let's look now at uh, some of the things of the flesh. And Paul just starts off with, I think, some of the basest, just starts off with the clearest. He said these things are evident. Verse 19, the deeds of the flesh are evident. You can see it clearly. It's right there. Uh, in Acts 4, after Peter and John uh, had healed the man who was lame, who was uh, had been sitting at the beautiful gate, uh, the Jews had brought them into custody and investigated the goings-on. And it says this beautiful phrase in Acts 4.16, And seeing the man who'd been healed standing before them, they had nothing to say in reply. The man standing right there. It's evident he's healed. There's no question. There's no question about it. He's standing right there in front of the court. Well, when it comes to the deeds of the flesh, 
these things are just as evident. They just stand out before us. And haven't you seen sometimes uh, people who try to deny their sin? And how successful are people at denying their sin? Usually not very, because they don't fool too many people because it's just standing right there in front of the court, as it were. It's just standing out there in the open. Well, when it comes to just sin standing out in the open, that's how the operation is of the work of the flesh. You know, decent people have the decency often to try and hide their sin. That's why there's so much hypocrisy in this world, right? Because they don't want their sin standing out there, uh, as it were, in the front yard. They don't want their sin standing there uh, beside them at their desk at work. They don't want their sin sitting in the pew beside them when they go to worship. Although, you know, a lot of times it is. So hypocrisy is to try and get it to be not so evident, but still have the sin. It doesn't work for very long. No, these deeds of the flesh, they're evident. It's obvious this is not of God. This is of our own fleshly desires. They are completely contrary to that which we've learned in Christ, that which we've been taught by the Spirit, that which we've been raised to walk on our newness of life in Christ, that this ain't it. And the first one is sexual immorality. From Romans 8, it says this, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was to the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, that we do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are in accordance uh, with the, to the, who are in according with the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not subject itself even to the law of God, it is not able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So here is the first obvious thing. It's completely contrary to God, the life in the Spirit, the life of Christ. It is completely contrary to everything we know of the faith. It is sexual immorality. And yet, what is it that is so common in this world? Uh, what is openly sought for? Uh, there's apps where you can, you know, uh, seek to set it up. Uh, why are there uh, so many bars around uh, college campuses and military bases and other places with lots of young and single folks? It's not just because they like alcohol. It's because they like the company that's there drinking the alcohol with them and the activities that might, in their mind, hopefully occur with other such patrons of those places. And these things are contrary to the, the Spirit, these things are hostile. This is Romans 8, 7, hostile to God, not even able to follow the things of God. It is death where the Spirit is life and peace. Uh, this word here for immorality, if we do just a slight word study, is the word pornea or pornea. I'm not sure how you pronounce that in Greek. But this pornea or pornea, we obviously recognize that word as the root of the word pornography. Uh, that is literally uh, two words, porneia and graphy, the writing, the writing of 
uh, of these things. And in the ancient world, there was quite the trade in that. You know, pornography is nothing new. We have new technology. Uh, now we have it in moving pictures and in color. But they had writings about it then and things to inflame the mind, things to set the mind upon that. And so uh, pornography was the writing. Today it would be the writing and display of all such things like that. It's, the, it's all uncleanness. It's all illicit sexual intercourse. It's basically every single kind of activity that one can do in that realm of life outside of marriage. We know from Hebrews 13 that marriage is to be held in honor by all. The bed is undefiled. Bed there being obviously a figure of speech, the thing take, uh, meaning what takes place there. That is undefiled. But everything else is defiled. And it's obviously, in, 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 uh, without dispute, defiled. And it's completely contrary to the things of God. There's a reason why there's such a rash of atheism uh, and people claiming to be atheist among uh, people in uh, the late teenage and early 20s in that age of life. And oftentimes we blame the universities because it's when the kids go off to the university and then they come back and say, yeah, I'm no longer a believer. Oh, you're not? Well, what, what rational argument convinced you to not look at the world around you and see a gracious and powerful creator? Well, it wasn't that. Well, what philosophical argument uh, uh, swayed you so that you could no longer believe in a loving God? And occasionally there's a little bit given for that. But the vast majority of, of, of lack of belief and expressed atheism of people of that age, it's nothing other than a desire for sexual immorality. Uh, some, just show somebody who is who become unfaithful at this age and show somebody who uh, claims to be atheistic, uh, and especially the more militantly atheistic they are. And if you were to uh, inquire about the, uh, their sexual habits or the things that they were sexually seeking, you would find they're exactly opposed to God and they're hostile to God. And when they've turned that part of their life hostile to God, then what happens intellectually? There's a hostility to God there as well. And so they hate God uh, in these things, and they hate the restrictions of God for these things. And so they go to the ways of the flesh, and they claim then that there's some reasonable or rational or uh, thing of wisdom behind it. They claim enlightenment so they can do debased things. It's often as simple as that. This work of the flesh is evident. Now, the law of Moses had a lot of teaching about it. Uh, the lesson that we teach on uh, sexual morality in the New Testament, we can teach the same lesson from the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, some of our more direct statements about it come from the Old Testament. When it comes to the standard of sexual morality, there's very little this different from the Old Covenant to the New. Yet, what did we find surrounding the ministry of Christ? Who were among his most ardent and, and early followers? Those who had before been involved in open sin. But the tax gatherers are also commonly the, the harlots, the prostitutes. And so Israel knew what to do. Israel was instructed of God what to do. And what did they do? Well, they one time even brought to Jesus a woman caught, they said, in the very act of adultery. 
and they wanted to see if he would harshly apply the law to her. Now, what he did is he told her to stop sinning and extended grace, which should be our position uh, toward those involved in this obvious act of sin, right? Stop sinning and come to the grace of Christ. But Israel, though they were well taught, and though every Jew who knew anything about the law of God, what commandment could they quote? Do not commit adultery. Yet, all through Jewish society, what did we find? Adultery. Well, then we bring, uh, in the church, we bring all these Gentiles in. Uh, we have uh, seen as the church grows, uh, it's stellar growth among the Gentiles, among the nations, those who had not known God. Uh, there were nations which, uh, you know, chastity uh, was not a universally celebrated virtue. Uh, there were uh, the only people that uh, were expected to be chaste and for whom it was held out as a virtue at all uh, were uh, the married women of, of uh, you know, houses that had uh, property and inheritances to pass on, uh, places where there would be titles and, uh, and things like that that would go to the legitimate sons uh, of the family. And so aside from the families where the legitimate son had something to inherit. In most of the rest of society, um, chastity wasn't uh, even commended as a virtue. And then in those situations, as we know, because of the you know double standards uh, that are so common around sexual things, uh, the chastity was recommended for the wives of those important men, not so much for the fellows themselves, right? And so here comes... Christianity, where we have a universal instruction for all people of every station, of every stature, and of both the two, there's only two, uh, genders of the two sexes, to all of them uh, possess their, their vessels in sanctification and in honor. And so th this was such, this immorality was so much a part of the Gentile world that when the Christians need to be reminded what it was that needed to keep, this was one of them, Acts 15, when we realized we're not going to give the law to the Gentile converts. We're not going to have them circumcised. We're not going to have them keep the law in the Sabbath and all those other things. Acts 15, 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you, you Gentile brethren, no greater burden than these essentials. What's most essential? That you keep from things sacrificed to idols. We're going to get idolatry in this list too, right? Idolatry. Idolatry is a big one. We're going to keep from idolatry and uh, from blood and from things strangled. That's part of the with blood and from fornication. If you keep yourself free from these things, you will do well. So here's the main things, guys. Here, you know, it's not very often we have a, these are the main things. Here's the big essentials, the big ones, the big ones, no idols. No blood or things strangled because the blood's still in it. And no fornication. That's this word, no pornea. This is a basic essential for those who are in Christ. As we summarized a while ago, 1 Thessalonians 4, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor not in lustful passion. We'll mention lustful passion in a moment. 
like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress or defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, just as you were told before I and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting uh, man, but God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. So to go against this most basic and most base, uh, to go against this on this most base and basic level, it rejects the, it rejects God, it rejects the messengers of the gospel, it's a rejection of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is brought into the argument here uh, in the Corinthian church. The, the commonness of this sin is seen by how casually it appeared that some of the Gentile brethren in Corinth, believers and brothers in Christ, uh, still had uh, still had this lax attitude toward it, even following their conversion, because it was such a different thing. This was so so common, but they were called to be so different. First Corinthians six fourteen. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will raise us up through His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ, the one who's giving you life and will raise you? That Christ, the one who gives you the Spirit. Shall I take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall be one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Remember Joseph. Every other sin a man commits is outside his own body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God and you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. So the first, the first sin in the works of the flesh, obvious and evident, it's immorality. It's this pornea. It's every kind of thing that those people do. And some, well, sometimes we people as Christians do. It's, it's every kind of thing outside of what God approved. And what God approved was for a man to have his own wife. Next in our list is a word that appeared a couple of times in our readings of these other passages, the word impurity. We just read from 1 Thessalonians. God did not call us for the purpose of impurity. He called us from impurity, not to impurity, not in impurity remaining, not so we could be Impure. This this word uh, is often associated with lustfulness uh, and immorality. It, it seems to be the following of of lust. So basically, um, dirty mindedness and all the actions that flow from it is sort of this this uh, impurity. It's kind. It's like pornea. It's a it's a pretty broad and wide word. It's the lust of the hearts. When the heart is turned from God. In Romans 1, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and they served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desires for one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their person the due penalty of their error. And so uh, these indecent acts, uh, these, these lusts of the mind, 
That is the impurity here. All the dirty thoughts of wicked people. Uh, we find this to, to the Ephesians. Paul says, I say together and affirm together in the Lord to you. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance within them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have been given over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. So there we have sensuality and the practice of all impurity. So the impurity. And Paul will later say uh, at the end of this list of the works of the flesh, I forewarned you that those who do that will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's the same thing Paul told the Ephesians. The immoral and the impure and the greedy, that should not even be named among you, Ephesians 5.3, as is proper among the saints. That there be no filthiness or silly talk. That seems to be the mindset and the, and the words that lead up to these actions taking place. They are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. And know this with certainty. No immoral or impure person who are, or covetous man who's an idolater, there's that one again, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. No inheritance. These are disqualifiers from the kingdom if you practice them. You can, cannot be led by the Spirit and make a regular and common practice of these things. Rather, it's the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, says the Beatitudes, for they shall see God. Now there's one more, and we seem to be uh, maybe uh, stepping down in severity, because first we've got, if you pardon the expression, the naked act uh, first, the immorality, the pornea. Then you've got the impurity, the lust that lead directly to it. And then you've got the sensuality. And this is just the, uh, this is a broad word again. Uh, this, is all, this is from the dictionary. Uh, readiness for all pleasures, a lustfulness, a wantonness, a licentiousness uh, are synonyms. Lustful desires or acts, reckless and shameless, um, unclean indulgences. Uh, part of this is ceasing to care what others think so there's no shame. There's no decency, outrageousness, uh, with it a pride, a insolence, an excessiveness, wantonness, unbridled lust, filthy words. Included in this, and this is where oh, when preachers, especially when they used to, do they still do it? Talk about dancing, indecent bodily movements, and unchaste handling of male and female. Uh, the dictionary, I think, could have saved a lot of wordage there, a lot of verbiage, if they just would have said spring break. It just, th that's the, the, the sensual thing, the, the, the worldly, the earthly, the uh, satisfying of pleasures in these ways. This word is applied to the men of Sodom. Uh, it talks about, uh, in Second Peter 2, it talks about Lot, uh, that... Uh, uh, he lived among those who lived ungodly lives, and they oppressed Lot by the sen their sensual conduct. And so the three descriptions in Second Peter of the men of Sodom are ungodly, are sensual, and unprincipled. And so ungodly, sensual, and unprincipled. So we see the kind of company 
that this attitude takes and keeps. And we see uh, how these men uh, acted so different than the righteous because of their sensuality. Uh, later, uh, this word of sensuality is applied to the false teachers. They entice uh, with arrogant words of vanity. They entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who have barely escaped uh, the error to come to Christ. And now these false teachers are there pulling them back. But again, sensuality is paired with fleshly desires. And then we also find this word by Peter. These are the things the Gentiles mock the Christians for not engaging in. So it becomes evident there's a Christian action and there's a worldly action of the, of the Gentiles, of the nations. There, there's, a, there's an unchristian action. In the unchristian action, some of the same list is here, where it talks about uh, the time past is already sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued 1 Peter 4.3, a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. <laughs> Idolatry keeps showing up too here, doesn't it? Well, we'll, again, we'll get to that later. But drunkenness, which is on this list, carousing, which is, which is on this list here as well in uh, Galatians. But there, Peter starts the list with sensuality. Their life is a course of sensuality. It's what they do. It's their stock and trade. It's, it's their pastime. It's their way of life. And these are, these are contrary to the things of Christ. And so these are evident. These are obvious. These are available for all who look to see. Now, somewhere in here, uh, and probably mostly in the sensuality part, I think, but depending on exactly what's being done, it could fall into the other two as well. Somewhere in here uh, would fall the sexual obsession and the sexual confusion that leads to what today is called trans and transgender and all that goes with that. And the, these are uh, evidently and obviously, in, in the sense of evidently, it, there's evidence for it. It's just standing there openly and boldly and, well, sometimes during Pride Week, nakedly in the street. There is a fleshliness, a sensuality to this all, to all of this. Now, we've been treated for the last 25, 30 years of our culture to the LGB uh, groups, and all of that is covered by pornea. Uh, there's no way you can be um, lesbian, gay, or bisexual. You can't do any of that without being pornea, without being in violation of the sexual immorality instructions of God. And then in, in recent times, in more recent times, has come the T, the trans, and every variation of that. Now they've got the whole alphabet soup of letters. It can go as far as 20 or 30 letters long in some cases. And then just to make sure they're inclusive enough, they're like the Athenians who had the statue to the unknown God. Uh, today we have the letter for the unknown sexuality. And so some will just put uh, you know a plus at the end to cover whatever else. It might be you. Hey, don't worry. You're in here too. We didn't mean to offend you. Just like the Athenians made their statue to the unknown God, we get the plus sign for the unknown gender and the unknown expression of sexuality. But this T and all that goes with it, this mind that is so consumed to distraction and to destruction, and with a desire to publicly proclaim it and to demand that everyone recognize it and honor it and accept it, 
is nothing but this obvious and evident impurity and sensuality of the works of the flesh. It is a, a mind hostile to God. It is, it is uh, contrary to the spirit of God, and it is the spirit of this world. And so when anyone gets in that, how long have you known them to be faithful? If anybody comes out with LGBT plus or anything like that, how long are they at church? And there are some churches that cater to that, but even there, how many of them are there? And are they there of faith? And what kind of church would it be? No, these things are contrary to God and contrary to the gospel. These things are contrary in every way. The root of all of these, this lack of sexual self-control in the immorality, uh, some translations will call it sexual immorality, some translations call it fornication, some would say fornication and adultery, but the immorality, the pornea, the impurity, uh, the mind and the sensuality behind it, all of these things are rooted in selfishness. All of these things are rooted in selfishness and a desire to have a lack of restraint. But what is it we studied just last night in our Bible class from Luke? Luke 9, 23, he was saying to them all, everybody listen now, if you're going to follow Christ, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. F.F. F. Bruce said about this, Denying ourselves is not a matter, just a matter, of giving up something. It is a decisive saying no to oneself, to one's hopes and one's plans and one's ambitions, to one's likes and dislikes, to all that is nearest and dearest for the sake of Christ. And Bruce didn't include this in this list, but I will. If we're just saying no to our hopes and plans, ambitions, likes, dislikes, and nearest and dearest for the sake of Christ, certainly what are we saying to our own lust? That should be the first one we say no to. So all of these things, this lack of self-control in a sexual realm, which is the beginning place of the deeds of the flesh, it's not all of it, but it's part of it. All of this flows from the things in our hearts. So we end with the admonition from Proverbs 4, 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from, for from it flow the springs of life. All right, that's the first one. That's the first group. The sins regarding sexual self-control. My kids get uncomfortable, but they're not here, so I'll tell it. Well, James is here. You know, it's it, th th these things about sex, it's not always just no, no, no. There's no to a lot. But it's not just all no, no, no. Because who is it that made life sexually transmitted? God did, right? And every one of your ancestors successfully figured that out. They had to. So there's nothing about the youth discovering anything about sex that wasn't known or, or it wasn't just hidden. It, it may, they may have been sheltered from it before it was, they were mature enough uh, to be able to know it or to handle it. 
but you're not figuring out anything that the, the prior generations go, uh, many years back did not know. Uh, and again, every one of your ancestors, by definition, had to have figured this out. Uh, but God has regulated it for our good and for our benefit, and he's the one who made it this way. And so he's the one who knows how to give helpful and good regulations about it. Just like anything that's, that's important, there's probably an instruction manual. And in the manual that God gives man, there are some instructions that are very important to follow and keep within the bounds. They're in the book of God, which is the book of life. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.